Hi guys, so excited to share my conversation with Eustace Mita, one of the most incredible entrepreneurs I've interviewed thus far. Shout out to his daughter, Molly Mita, who was kind enough to help coordinate this interview. So quick background on Eustace, he was born and raised in Philadelphia as a middle child of five kids. Today, he is married to his amazing wife, Susie, for 43 years, and together they have five children and 14 grandchildren. We start out our conversation by talking about Eustace's career in the car industry. At age 16, he started buying and selling 1965 Mustangs. He would buy them out of the Inquirer for $200, fix them up, and sell them for $400. Those were just the beginning days. Yus went on to start his own company called Mita Leasing, which became one of the top 10 leasing companies on the East Coast. And then in 1989, he joined forces with his uncle Yus Wolfington. For those of you not familiar, Yus Wolfington, who's a past podcast guest, founded his company called Half a Car, which revolutionized the car industry. So when Yus Mita joined Half a Car, he became president and played a major role in expanding the company to over 18 countries with more than 4,000 dealerships in the system. He talks about how the company became a powerhouse and eventually was sold in 2000 for 200 million. Shortly after the sale of Half a Car, Yus found a passion for real estate and founded Acristavest, where he developed state-of-the-art residential homes around the country, including Utah, Maryland, New Jersey, the Carolinas, Pennsylvania, Nantucket, and most recently, Costa Rica. In 2013, Yusuf's passion for real estate evolved into hotel development. He founded Icona Resorts, a luxury hotel brand which currently has locations in southern New Jersey, including the Icona Diamond Beach, Avalon, and Cape May, and they all have been ranked number one rated beachfront hotels. So throughout our conversation, Yus not only tells us about his entrepreneurial journey, but also sprinkles in valuable life lessons. We touch on the importance of setbacks and failures, his unwavering faith, the importance of family, always maintaining a positive attitude, how to be a leader, humility, and so much more. Hope you guys enjoy. Okay, so welcome, Yus, to the podcast. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you, Steph. It's great to be here. Yeah, so super excited to have you here. And like how we just were talking about, your story connects with a lot of past podcast guests. Yes. So Yus Wolfington, Pat Croce, Marty Gillen, um, Jay Wright, we just talked about. Yes. And what I think is funny is that, I was talking to my brother Tony about this, is that we have a lot of guests from Ocean City. So it's you, uh, Pat Croce, Uh, Coach Jay Wright, and Mike Mayock. Well, you know what that tells you, how inspirational Ocean City is. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Might be better than Avalon. That's great. So we'll see. And a shout out to Molly, your daughter, uh, who yes. helped coordinate this, Molly Mita. Um, and I don't get to see her a lot, so it was really fun that we got to catch up last week on the phone uh, for about an hour she yeah. gave me. Oh, so, really? Yeah. Oh, she told great. me your whole life story. So I sort of knew, you know, what I was getting myself into. Oh, my life story? Yeah. I'd love to hear it from Molly's, from Molly's. perspective. Yeah. <laughs> um, and one thing I wanted to ask you before we get started is how we are related exactly. Because I get confused because the that's, Mita's that's and Wolfington's and Hayden's. You can edit this, but from this day on, mm-hmm. same thing I said to Tara and Patrice, you can call me Use. You can call me Uncle Use. Okay. You can call me Cousin Use. But you can't call me Mr. Mita. Okay. Okay? (laughs) Yeah. That's going to be our deal. Okay, perfect. And here's how we're related. Mm -hmm. So your father, Tony, Mm -hmm. so it would be your grandfather was brother to my grandmother. Okay. Mary Mark Wolfington. Right. Yeah. And so they were brother and sister. So Tony and my mother were first cousins. Okay. Which makes Tony my second, second. cousin. Okay. Which I guess makes you my third, third cousin. Third cousin. Yeah. yeah. There yeah. we go. And yeah. then Molly and I are fourth cousins. Yeah. So yeah. it all goes full circle. It really does. Um, anyways, would love for you to start off by providing the listeners with a little bit of background on your childhood in Philadelphia. Well, it's interesting. I was one of five, mm-hmm. two older, two younger. I was the middleman. Okay. So you can imagine uh, I was ignored. Um, I wasn't treated fairly, mm-hmm. no, <laughs> but the middle, you know, because we have, here's another interesting factoid. So I'm one of five and in my family, there's two boys, three girls. Okay. Susie and I have five children, Right. two boys, three girls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, uh, grew up in Penwin and of course to me, everything's Philly. When somebody says, where are you from? I would just say Philly. Philly. Yeah. And uh, went to a uh, presentation up until the fifth grade, moved to Balakinwood, went to St. Matthias. Okay. And uh, from St. Matthias, I went to a public school for a year, which was a good school, but I had a terrible experience there. Okay. 
And uh, then I went to Archbishop Carroll. Okay. And I would tell you that those were the four best years of my life. Mm-hmm. Loved Carroll. And it really helped me help my confidence. And I'll talk about that later. And then I went to Drexel University. Okay. Loved Drexel. Was on the co-op program. But I love work more mm-hmm. than I love school. Mm-hmm. So I left there in the third year and went to work and never looked back. And never looked back. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Um, and I always ask guests, what sort of influence did your parents have on you, both your mom and your dad? We know it's an interesting question. Obviously, all parents have an extreme influence on their children. And uh, when I was growing up, my dad was a terrible alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And so it was rough for the first 18 years of my life and uh, in my brother Frank's life. But he became sober when I was 18, dedicated his life to AA, Mm -hmm. and he helped literally thousands of people. So it was really a great story. Mm -hmm. But so I saw so many sides. So there were so many influences. And uh, But I would say probably the best, uh, if I talk about my mother, Mm -hmm. she was always positive. Mm-hmm. I mean, never negative, ever. And she would tell us growing up, and she was right about this, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. Mm-hmm. And she actually practiced it. She would not, if, if there was somebody or something she didn't like, she'd go quiet. Okay. But she would just never, never say a bad word. Right. And she and my father were both extroverts. So mm-hmm. we had benefit of that. Okay. And great training, which I don't see today, Steph. Uh, for example, when somebody would come in the house, she'd say, say hello to Mr. Hayden, look him in the eye, smile. Okay. Mm-hmm. And we did the same thing with our children. And now I'm telling my children, they have to do the same thing with their grandchildren. Okay. So, uh, we had a very positive environment. And even though we didn't have any money, my father never made more than 40,000 a year, mm-hmm. but because my grandparents had the place in Avalon mm-hmm. for the first 10 years of our life until the family got too big and then my grandmother had to kick us out. But we stayed at 1410 Avalon Avenue. Okay. And so they were the greatest years of my life. And uh, so my parents were, you know, we, we really had a, we had a great life. And uh, that's why the shore today is really... I always say my heart's in Philadelphia, but my soul is in New Jersey. New Jersey. I love it. (laughs) Um, So after you left Drexel, Molly was telling me about the story when you wrote Roger Penske, the the letter. Can you tell that story? And for the listeners that don't know who Roger Penske is, maybe give a little bit of background too. I I will. And I'm going to start a little pre-Roger Penske. Okay. I was really lucky because most people that you... Well, yeah, I do. I think most people don't know what they want to do when they graduate Mm -hmm. school or... For whatever reason, from the minute I can remember of of consciousness, whether Mm -hmm. I was five years old or six, I loved cars. Okay. I loved looking at them. I could stand up in the back of my mother's car. They didn't have seatbelts. And, uh, or if they did, they did, I wasn't in them. And then I could point and name, there's a 65 Pontiac, there's a 65 Ford Mustang. Okay. I knew every car every year. So I was a car nut. Mm -hmm. So I knew I wanted to be in the car business. And even though our family has a history, you see behind me here, yeah. the coach, my great-great-grandfather made horse buggies. My great-grandfather, oh, cool. my great-grandfather uh, made um, car bodies because back okay. then, the car wasn't invented really until 1895. Okay. And by 1900, my great-grandfather said, horse buggies are not going to go. We better start making car bodies. Mm -hmm. So if you wanted a Duesenberg or a Packard, you would buy the chassis, which means the engine, the wheels, and, but there was no body. You had, you would go to literally go to a body company. Wolfington body company became famous and made many Packards and Duesenbergs and so on. And that was my great grandfather. My grandfather, I was born on his birthday. That's how Mm -hmm. I got my name. Okay. His name was James Eustace Wolfington. Okay. And his mother's name was Martha Eustace. Right. She married Harry Wolfington. Okay. And she was like a woman's liberator in the uh, early 1900s. So all nine of her children got her maiden name as her middle name. Right. Even the woman. Uh, my Aunt Mildred was Mildred Eustace Wolfington, Agnes Eustace Wolfington. Mm-hmm. My grandfather was James Eustace Wolfington. I was born on his birthday. Instead okay. of cutting me a break and calling me James Eustace Mita, no. My mother took James, threw it out. Eustace, my great-grandmother's last name, is my first name. 
Wolfington, my mother's last name is mm -hmm. my middle name, and okay. Mead and my father's last name is my last. So it's like a boy named Sue. Right. <laughs> but back to the cars. Yeah. So even my uncle Eustace, who invented leasing, was not a car fanatic. And Harry Wolfington, mm -hmm. my other uncle, who he and I became partners in a leasing business, mm -hmm. uh, they could care less about cars, but they were born into the business. Mm -hmm. I, on the other hand, I love the feel, the touch, the smell of them. Okay. So when I was 16 years old, I went to work in an Arco gas station in Ballackinwood. Okay. And I started to buy and sell on my own 1965 Mustangs, only 65s, because that was the year the car came out. Okay. So it held its value. And today, I bought, just for fun, I bought a restored one last oh, cool. year from the original owner. Yeah. And back then, they had a list price of maybe uh, $3,000. Okay. I paid $45,000 for this wow. car. But it's perfect. And I bought it from the original owner. Right. Who was in his late 70s. Okay. Yeah. So but so here's how the car interest came. I would buy and sell these cars. Mm -hmm. And, that's and how, how old were you again at this point? 16. 16. Wow. Okay. And I'd buy them out of the inquiry for 200 and Lou Kershaw was a great guy. He let me use the service bays on Sundays. Okay. So I would take engines out, put them back in, detail the cars, and uh, I'd make a ton of money back then. I'd buy the car for two hundred. I'd fix it up and sell it for four hundred. So that your entrepreneurial spirit started early too. Very early. early yeah. And I, so I was so I put myself in the used car business. Mm -hmm. And uh, it would, I didn't realize it at the time, but that's the best way. If you're going to get in the car business, mm -hmm. start in used cars. Okay. Because the other stuff is easier easier to learn. Sure, yeah. And and then I knew the service. I mean, think about this, Steph. I learned the service and parts business because I was my own serviceman and right. I was my own partsman. Yeah. As I fixed these cars. And and, uh, and so uh, that was a lot of fun for me. And as I was growing up, uh, so, so from Drexel, uh, I went, I actually moved to Dallas, Texas. Okay. And started a company with my uncle Bob Gillen and two right. other guys called Sportorama and Amusement Park and a mall. But that was a short stop. Okay. I then went to, I wanted to get in the car side of the business. So I went to work, got married Sue uh, at 21 and 22, and I, and I went to work for the Chilton Company. Right. Okay. And back then you had to have a college degree. Mm -hmm. But they didn't know until I got in the interview, you know, I'd. I would say I attended Drexel, okay. and then I depended on my own selling skills to get the job, which I did. So I worked for Chilton Company on a magazine called Commercial Car Journal, mm -hmm. and uh, moved to. They moved me to Chicago, which was okay. a great experience, and I did that for two years, and then uh, I made. I made a lot of money. It was a lot back then. I was okay. the highest paid salesperson wow, in, the, yeah. in the company because mm -hmm. you, you know, you get paid for what you sell. So in so I made $75,000. You can edit that out if you want. But I made $75,000 okay. in 1977, okay. which was a ton of money. Back then, yeah. But then I wanted to be a sales manager, moved back to Philadelphia, and uh, they they wanted to keep me in Chicago. Mm -hmm. So I came home one day and I said to Susie, I said, you know what? The only thing I ever wanted to do in my whole life is be a car dealer. Mm -hmm. Now, interestingly enough, my grandfather, who I was named after, was a car dealer. Right, okay. He had three dealerships, but he died and my grandmother had to sell them. Okay. My uncle, Eustace Wolfington, mm -hmm. who you interviewed, had a Chevrolet dealership, but he sold that before I even got into Drexel. And so I said to myself, I have pennies in the pocket. Mm -hmm. How am I going to get a car dealership? So I thought to myself, now keep in mind, I'm 25 at the time. Right. I said, who's the sharpest guy in the business? Mm -hmm. For me, it was a guy named Roger Penske. Okay. And to give some people background, back then he had one Chevrolet dealership and he had a leasing company in mm -hmm. Reading, Pennsylvania. Okay. But he also had Penske Racing. Right, okay. And for those who don't know, this year, just a week ago, Memorial Day weekend, uh, Team Penske won their 18th Indy 500. Wow. So it's a world-famous race, Indy 500. And Roger has won at 18. The next guy down, I think it's uh, Chip Ganassi's team, and I believe it's single digits. Maybe they've won five or six. Mm -hmm. So Roger is 83. Okay. He's still going strong. And I would tell you, I don't see anybody. It's like Tiger Woods, Jack Nicklaus, and Arnold Palmer all put together right. for anybody to, to get to the record that, that he already has. And he'll probably reach 20 in his lifetime. So 
you know, very cool guy. And I said, I want to learn from the best. So I sat down. I wrote him a letter when I was living in Chicago. Mm -hmm. Dear Roger, three-page letter. You don't know me. My name's Eustace Mita. I want my own car dealership. So I was honest, right up front, transparent. Mm -hmm. I want to learn from the best. You're the best. Uh, if I don't hear from you in seven days, I'll be on your doorstep. Now, I said it mm -hmm. nicer than that. Yeah. <laughs> but what do you think happened, Steph? Did he write you back? He writes me back. Five days later, I get a letter. He okay. says, next time uh, that you are in Philadelphia, give us a call. So, of course, I said to Sue, we're going to Philadelphia right away. Mm -hmm. So uh, I got an interview, but Roger wasn't there. And I was all day I interviewed with the president of Penske Leasing. And uh, he had sold the Chevrolet dealership. So now he had Penske GM Power, which was a Detroit diesel distributorship. Okay. So I spent a couple hours with him. I had a great time. And uh, he hired me. And then I... Uh, I went to work there, but he put me in the diesel business, and the smell of a diesel engine didn't have the same appeal to me as the smell of a new car. Right. And so I decided to leave, and then that's when, uh, soon after I started meeting leasing. Okay. So I was in North Jersey with Roger, moved back to Philadelphia, and then meeting leasing. We became one of the top ten largest independent leasing companies on the East Coast. And how old were you at this point? Did you have any kids? Uh, I did. I was 29 and had four, everybody but mom. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> That's a lot. We had Yus and Mike and Missy and Julie. Okay. Yeah. Because I started in 1984 and Molly was born in 89. Okay. Yeah. So she Very was five cool. years later. Yeah. And so I was 29 at the time and I just loved it. Mm -hmm. So we were leasing cars, trucks, boats. Yeah. Planes, anything that rides, slides, floats, or glides. Right. <laughs> In fact, at least Pat, you, you talked about Pat Croce. Pat and I were very close. We continued to be close friends. And back then, Pirate Pat decided he wanted to learn how to fly a helicopter. So I, I, I that, leased yeah. him a helicopter. Do you remember that? <laughs> I remember that yeah, story, you yeah. A baby. yeah so. <laughs> In fact, I didn't realize it. I was the only one. I went up with him when he had his license for like mm -hmm. two weeks. Wow. And somebody said to me, I can't believe the guy had his license for two weeks and you went up. Are you nuts? I said, well, if you know Pat Croce, I said, here's why I felt 100% safe. He is the most OCD anal person besides me I've ever met. Right. So I knew one thing. He he hit that checklist over and over again before we went up. Right. And so um, so that's how that's how mutual leasing started. And then, uh, interestingly enough, I kept a good relationship with Roger. Okay. So I left, I left Penske in 1978. Mm -hmm. In 1988, which was four years after I started Mito Leasing, okay. uh, I get a letter and Roger wrote me a letter saying, Hey, uh, you know, I'd like to, you know, I'd like to get together with you. So I met him at Pennsylvania Speedway in Pocono mm -hmm. and he said, Use, uh, I just got a Lexus franchise in New York. Mm -hmm. And that was a new car. Nobody, there was no such thing as Lexus. Okay, Toyota, when they get into luxury cars, so in 1988, yeah. they started Lexus. And he said, but I already have Penske Cadillac. He said, why don't you come back? So here it is 10 years later, Steph. He said, okay. why don't you come back? And, uh, and you and I will, you know, we'll start Penske Auto Group. You'll be the president. Okay. And, uh, and I said, that's great. But I said, I don't want to move to New York. He said, don't worry about it. You can do it from Philadelphia. Okay. So. I went and told my uncle this story, Eustace Wolfington, mm -hmm. and he said to me, geez, you know, I was hoping you and I could do something, but, you know, Roger Penske. Right. Well, how do I compete with that? I said, well, blood's thicker than water. Mm -hmm. And I had not only admired Eustace uh, as my uncle, but also he invented leasing. Mm -hmm. That's what I was doing. I was right. leasing cars. So uh, I thought about it, prayed about it, and I wrote Roger a letter. Mm -hmm. And in the letter, I said, dear Roger... Uh, I'm so complimented, and uh, it was great being with you again. I said, but my uncle invented leasing, mm -hmm. and I want to change the way the world drives cars. Mm -hmm. And so I went with use, and we became partners. Uh, what year was that? That was 1990. Okay. 1989. Got it. it. Was 1989. Yeah, so it was 1989. And, uh, but I kept me to leasing, too, so I was mm -hmm. half-time me to leasing, half-time half a car. Half a car yeah. And then in 1990, um, you know, I just turned it over to 
or people who were at Mita Leasing, mm -hmm. Bill Gleason, who is now president, that was 20 years ago. Okay. And uh, Mita Leasing is still going strong today, right. which I'm very happy about. And so uh, Bill became president and uh, owner through buyout, and I went full-time half, half a, car. a car. And then we decided to take it worldwide mm -hmm. with Ford. So we opened up in, which is the part I really was excited mm -hmm. about. So we opened up in 19 different countries. So right. went to the UK and Mark DeVito was a great guy we hired out of Canada mm -hmm. who spoke three different languages, still does. In fact, Mike, Mark just joined us at Team Icona. Oh, very cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he's going to run all our training and education. Mm -hmm. And so Mark and I went to the UK. We went to France, Italy, Spain, Taiwan, Germany. And uh, just kept knocking it out and had a great time doing it. Uh, and also for the listeners that don't know, too, so a little bit of background on Youth Wolfington, who's a past podcast guest. Yes. His story is pretty cool, too, because I guess he got into the business maybe around like 1960 and you know developed the concept of leasing. And it wasn't until 1981 that Ford really believed in him in this concept. Exactly so it right. took him 20 years went through bankruptcy a couple times, yeah. and then started building Half a Car, which he became an integral part of in 1989, and sold it in 2000. Um, he disclosed a number, I think, close to $200 million. So what I really wanted to ask you, too, is... How did you know that number? He disclosed it. Say, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, he told me on the interview. But uh, what I was really interested in is how what made it such a great company? What were the values behind it? What made Half a Car such a great mm -hmm. company? Um, it was different than any other company in that we were a flat organization, meaning it, it wasn't a hierarchy. Mm -hmm. East was chairman. I, 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 I was president. Okay. And, uh, but we didn't, you know, if you looked at an organization chart, we were flat. It was concentric circles. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, uh, the most important was our customer. Okay. The least important were the CEO and the COO and the CFO. Interesting. Meaning us. Right. And uh, so, so that that principle, and I think the other principle was that everyone counts. Mm -hmm. Everyone counts. And what's interesting is, you know, over the forty years, and we can talk about Icona later. You know, you take we have a a culture at Icona that I would tell you is. You know, people die, but good business principles don't. They mm -hmm. go on for centuries and centuries and centuries. And uh, so I think that's what that's what really did it. And we were on a, a new frontier, a new journey, mm -hmm. and we were blazing new trails that no dealer or nobody in the business had ever been through before. Mm -hmm. So it was exciting for everybody. Right. And I think excitement breeds motivation. Definitely, yeah. yeah. And I know one of your favorite books Molly told me, is How to Win Friends and Influence People. That's right. So did you um, – I love some of the um, topics they talk about. Yeah. So did you apply some of those topics to Half a Car and your business today? Like I we, love the concepts on listening. Everything that, – that's, that's a great question. Mm -hmm. When I came to Half a Car, you know, you, you have two strong personalities, Eustace Wolfington and mm -hmm. Eustace Mita. Mm -hmm. And it could have gone either way, right. even though he's older. But luckily, you know, he's 20 – uh, you know, 21 years older than I am. Mm -hmm. So uh, he had great experience. And I had m principles that I had honed. Mm -hmm. And one of them was the fastest way to learn is through books. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is because people put their lifetime in a book. Mm -hmm. So you can learn through your own experience, which right. will take you a lifetime. Mm -hmm. And by the time you learn everything you need to learn, you're either going to be dead or out of energy. Mm -hmm. So I read, you can see behind you, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books. But I always say when I give talks, there's mm -hmm. five books you must, must read. Okay. And I say there's three things that are going to change you mm -hmm. from who you are today to who you're going to be tomorrow. Mm hmm Number one, the books you read, okay, the people you meet, and the goals you set and achieve. Mm -hmm. And I had heard about the books you read and the people you meet uh, from a guy named Charlie Tremendous Jones okay. back in the 60s. Mm -hmm. And to me, I try to do everything in threes because whether you have an IQ like Youth Wolfington of 160 mm -hmm. or you have an IQ of 
uh, 60, you know, we have a Down syndrome grandson. Mm-hmm. One of the things you learn principle-wise is you learn, no matter how smart you are or not smart, it's always easier to learn in threes. A, B, C, mm-hmm. one, two, three. Okay. So when I'm teaching, I try to keep it to threes. And that's why I say the three things that will change you. The books you read because people put a lifetime experience in mm-hmm. books. The people you meet. Think of the people you met in your life, Stephanie. Look at the pictures here. Pat Croce, Roger mm-hmm. Penske, the Pope. So cool, you know, yeah. Yeah, all these. But all those things go to influence your life. Mm-hmm. And so I have, since the time I was in my 20s, uh, actually earlier than that, Here's how I got how to win friends and influence people. My father came to, I didn't know he was there, but when I was in the fourth grade, he came to presentation. This mm-hmm. is back when he was drinking. So, okay. you know, we had some dysfunction in the family. Mm-hmm. Well, part of the uh, results of that dysfunction is my dad was a tough guy. Mm-hmm. So what did I know? I, I was a tough guy. Right. As a result, I got in a lot of fights, didn't have many friends. My father drives into the schoolyard and sees everybody playing and sees me by myself. Mm -hmm. That night, now remember, this is fifth grade, fourth grade, fourth or fifth. You're 10 years old around, yeah. Yeah, 10, 11. Comes home and gives me this book. And he says, I drove to the schoolyard today. I saw you by yourself. And he said, it broke my heart. Mm -hmm. And he said, I'm going to give you this book. Because I think it'll help you. It was how to win friends and influence people. His delivery was not that great, but mm-hmm. his intent was pure. Okay. I read that book then, and I've read it every year since. Have you really? Wow. And those principles, mm-hmm. I brought them into half a car, and I brought them into Icona. Okay. The difference is, is that when we were teaching dealerships, the real good ones, they'd let us come in four times a year. The beautiful part about Icona, and we didn't have time for this at Hefcore either because we had people flying all over the world. Okay. Because Icona is largely uh, located in Cape May County. Okay. We teach these principles in every hotel once a week. We call it wow. Aloha training. Okay. You can miss a meal. Don't miss Aloha don't training. Don't miss Okay. And here's Careful. some of the principles. The sweetest sound mm-hmm. to a person's ears is the sound of their own name. Mm-hmm. That's why at Icona, everybody, including me, wears a name tag. Okay. Why? Because we tell and we say it to our people, not just the guests. Try to get the guest name. Mm-hmm. But we say to our people, you can interrupt me anytime you want, by the way. We say to our people, it is a, we teach them this. It's a, so I don't want to pass Stephanie, and we have 700 people who work at Icona. Mm-hmm. We don't call them employees. We don't call them associates or right. team members. Because that has a whole different connotation. Remember I said we do everything in threes? Mm-hmm. Three things. We say words paint pictures. Always use positive words. Okay. And even, there's no such thing as the off-season. We call it the cozy season. Okay. Okay? Words paint pictures. Positive words. Music stirs the soul. Always music in the common areas. Okay. Interesting. Water yeah. soothes the soul. That's why everything we build on water. Mm-hmm. Because no matter who you are in your life, no matter how busy, whether you're the President of the United States or whether you're a bus boy or bus girl. Mm-hmm. Water soothes the soul. Okay. Music stirs the soul. Right. So that principle, name, mm-hmm. here's another principle. It came from how to win friends and influence people when I was 10, 11 years old. The greatest craving mm-hmm. of the human spirit is appreciation. Right. So we, we teach that to our people. Just appreciation. And now we've taken it to another mantra. We say the least important word is I. Okay. And these are all, you know, our own principles. Mm-hmm. So you can't go to another company and copy these. The least important word is I. Okay. Because I isolates. Right. You're by yourself. That's how suicidal thoughts start. Mm-hmm. We say the most important word is we. Mm-hmm. Why? Because we unite. Okay. Two most important words, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Who says that? Admit your mistakes, yeah. I'm sorry. Number three most important words. What do you think? Four most important words. You did a great job. Okay. I say that to my kids all the time. Six most important words. I admit that I was wrong. Okay. So there you go. Nobody Love wants it. to say that. Yeah. So these are all principles that I took from how to win friends and influence people mm-hmm. when I was before I was even a teenager mm-hmm. and have continued uh, to use those same principles. So I say there's five books that you. If you say, I'm too busy, and right now we're living in a soundbite world, it's the iPhone, it's the iPad, mm-hmm. so 
people don't take the time to read anymore. But right. I say, and I pass this on to my children, five books you must read, mm-hmm. and I'll give them to you, but don't tell the people in the podcast. Number one, if you don't read any book, read How to Win Friends and Influence. I agree, yeah. Number two, The Greatest Salesman in the World by Og Mandino. Okay. Ten principles written over 2,000 years ago. Wow. The sacred, I'll give you one. You ready? Mm-hmm. Scroll number one. These scrolls are written 2,000 years ago. Okay. Discover. Today I begin a new life. Today I will shed my old skin, which hath too long suffered the bruises of failure and the wounds of mediocrity. Mm-hmm. Today I'm a new man, and men shall know me not. So that's when he gets discouraged. Scroll number two. I will greet this day with love in my heart. Mm-hmm. And how will I treat this last precious day? I will say silently and to myself, to everyone I meet, I love you, I love you, I love you. And who can refuse my goods that feels my love? Mm-hmm. I'll give you one more. Scroll number five. I will live this day as if it is my last. If it is my last, I will do my best. And if it's not my last, I'll get down on my knees and thank God it's a chance of another day. Pat would love this part of the scroll. Mm-hmm. I'll live this day as if it is my last. I will mm-hmm. think not of yesterday. Forget mm-hmm. the past. I will think not of yesterday with its broken dreams and promises. For why should I throw good after bad? Mm-hmm. I will think not of tomorrow, the future, mm-hmm. because maybe tomorrow will never come. Right. Henceforth, I will live this day as if it is my last, and if it is my last, it will be my best. Mm-hmm. So there you go. I love it. Yeah. So that's so book number one. You got to read How to Win Friends and Influence okay. People. And these are old books. Book number, and I haven't seen it. And I'll include yet. them in the show notes too, yeah. with links to everything. Yeah. Book number two. The Greatest Salesman in the World. Mm-hmm. I've read that every year since 1988. Okay. Okay? Now, people say, why do you keep reading it? Repetition is the foundation of learning. Mm-hmm. Have you read a book once and then five years later you go back and say, geez, I didn't see any of this. Book number three, As a Man Thinketh. Okay. And these are all this philosophy that, you know, that we brought to half a car. So mm-hmm. you have Hugh Swaffington's incredible philosophy and then our principles that we brought. You put the two together, it was like a one-two punch. Right. So, uh, so... As a man thinketh, and here's a great line from As a Man Thinketh. Man, now that means woman or man. Man mm-hmm. is not a victim of his circumstances. Man is the maker of his circumstances. So don't blame anybody but you. Okay. Okay? You make the choices. Mm-hmm. But Steph, you and I both know choices have consequences. Right. Good and bad, mm-hmm. but choices have consequences. Okay. So I'm not going to tell you the fourth book. Okay. All right, I'll give it to you. (laughs) Okay, Think and Grow Rich. Okay. Think and Grow Rich. I got that book when I was 17 years old. It was given to me by my Aunt Peg Mm O'Neill. She said, Yus, you got to read this book. It's fantastic. Interesting, being brought up Irish Catholic, Mm -hmm. I was embarrassed by the title, Think and Grow Rich, because you're not supposed to be rich. Right. So I ripped off the cover. So when I was carrying the book around, nobody would see the cover. Mm -hmm. Isn't that funny? But that was a great principle. And one of the principles, the principle behind thinking grow rich is anything that the mind can conceive and believe, it can achieve. Yeah. yeah, I like that one. That's a good one. And uh, so the fifth book, of course the Bible is the book, but let's, mm-hmm. since everybody knows that, the fifth book is The Power of Your Subconscious Mind mm-hmm. by Joe Murphy. Okay. Written in 1963 or 64, a fabulous book. And what it points out is there's two minds, your conscious and your subconscious. Mm-hmm. And here's what I say to people who listen to Howard Stern. And I won't mention any names. Today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Howard, if you're listening, you're a dirtball. And I don't apologize for that. Because <laughs> here's what Howard Stern does. When I hear people listen to him, they go, oh, well, I say, the guy's a dirtball. And he, and he hurts people. Because mm-hmm. he's so negative. And they say, well, I, you know, I don't, he just gives, he does good interviews. He does good interviews. He does good interviews. That's like going through a trash can and looking for a, a nice piece of food. Mm-hmm. Why go through the Why go through the, the 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 exercise? Okay. And normally I don't mention people by name, but I want to mention Howard Stern. Okay. Because here's why. Your subconscious mind is always open and listening, but it can't discern between good and bad. So when you hear this negativity, it actually affects your own mood. Okay. And makes you negative. So that's why I don't have time for negativity. So that's mm-hmm. why those books I gave you, they all have a positive message in them. Mm-hmm. You're going to have enough negative in your life. Right. Because life is tough. Mm-hmm. So why go looking for negativity? 
you know, go look for the positive in mm-hmm. life. And so, so that's my point. You know, I say to my children too, when you listen to, and my grandchildren now, when you listen to music, like, mm-hmm. I have no problem with rap, but upbeat rap. Right. Not kill your mother, slice your mm-hmm. father, let's all commit suicide. Right. Sorry. Oh, well, Dad, I just listened to the beat. No. no. Right. <laughs> you think you're listening to the beat, those words are going into your subconscious mind. They're mm-hmm. affecting your mood. Right. All right, that's enough. I agree. <laughs> no, I love it. It actually reminded me of Pat Kirchie had his Ten Commandments, mm-hmm. so which mm-hmm. he went through. And um, I love the book, How to Win Friends Influence People, too. I do. One of my favorite um, is listening. They said you should listen 75% of the time and that's talk right. 25%. I think it was Dale Carnegie who said that's why our Lord gave you two ears and one mouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Jay Wright said that quote too. Did he? He tells his players that. Yeah, that came from Dale Carnegie. Yeah. Um, so I loved hearing about all those books too. And funny enough, uh, I asked Hughes Wolfington what his favorite book was. And he said the Bible. So I wanted to talk about the role that faith has played in your life at Half a Car. And we'll get back to your whole storyline too because I, I definitely want to um, talk about what, what happened after Half a Car. Let's do that. Yeah. I think faith's important. So yeah. Um, would love to hear about what role faith um, plays in your life. Well, you know, it's interesting, Steph. People say to me, and and I go to Mass every day now. Mm-hmm. It's not because I'm a holy roller. Yeah. I'll tell you why I go, if you ever ask me the question during this podcast. But I always had faith. Uh, I don't know why. Uh, it has gotten deeper. But I can remember when I told you I moved to Dallas. Mm-hmm. Well, I was down there by myself. It was very, very lonely. And I was dating Susie at the time, mm-hmm. and I remembered her mother uh, had asked us to take eggs and milk to these cloistered nuns, mm-hmm. who were the Guadalupe nuns on City on City Avenue. So I took with Susie those, and the, and the nuns, even though they're cloistered, they gave us a little scapula, mm-hmm. and it had a rose from Guadalupe, where our, our Blessed Mother appeared years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, not that long ago, I think it's 100 years. But at any rate, uh, on the other side, it had a quotation that the Blessed Mother said to Juan Diego when he said he was afraid that, you know, they were going to kill him mm-hmm. if he kept talking about building this basilica. And she looked at him and she says, am I not here? I, who am your mother? Mm-hmm. What more do you need? And when I was in Dallas, whenever I got lonely, I would pick that out. Mm-hmm. Am I not here? I, who am your mother? So I think um, my mother and father had great faith, but my mm-hmm. mother had incredible faith. Mm-hmm. And I remember the little things she'd say when we would complain, because remember, she was a non-complainer. Mm-hmm. She'd say, give it up for the souls in purgatory. Mm-hmm. Offer it up for the souls in right. purgatory. And so as life went on, and I hit different speed bumps in my own life, mm-hmm. uh, I always went back back on my faith. Mm-hmm. Went back on my faith. And as you know, we have a faith-filled family. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, we talked about it at Half a Car. I talk about it at Icona all the time. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the names of our company, a Christabest. Christabest, yeah. You know, because the best investment I ever made was Christ. That's mm-hmm. our home building company. Mm-hmm. Caritas is our commercial building company. Okay. Caritas, Latin, mm-hmm. to serve. And uh, so faith is intertwined with everything that I do. Mm-hmm. And the reason I go to Mass every day and say a rosary is because we'll do more for our children than we'll ever do for anybody else. So I go to Mass by age. So Mass, Rosary, and Adoration is for use as the oldest. So use mm-hmm. is wife, Julie, and my grandchildren. Tuesday, Mike, Lee, my grandchildren. Okay. Wednesday, Missy, FJ, my grandchildren. Mm-hmm. Thursday, Julie, Joe, grandchildren. Mm-hmm. Friday, Molly, Saturday, mm-hmm. Sue. Okay. So, Steph, if I miss the day, it's not like, oh, I missed the day, Miss. No. I right. miss Missy's day. I'm going to do that to Missy. Right. I'm going to miss Julie's day, Molly's day. Mm-hmm. No. No. Yeah. So, so that is why, uh, why I do it. But as my grandfather said, stay close to God because mm-hmm. you're going to need them. Right. No true words were spoken. I love that. And yeah. you have the Bible study group now, right? It's grown it tremendously. Right here in this office. We started okay. out. A matter of fact, I was with Father John Connor, who asked me to start it mm-hmm. uh, 18 years ago. We started in, in 2001, and we had three, four guys in my office. Now, uh, this tomorrow, we'll have 50 men in the office. We'll mm-hmm. have 30 on, on a, you know, a poly uh, com, mm-hmm. the phone. 
Uh, we have the ambassador from Monte Carlo and Monaco. Oh, wow. We have uh, people from uh, California, Arizona. So it's 4.30 in the morning there because we wow. go from 7.30 to 8.30 here. That has grown into over 125 or 30 groups now in four states in New Jersey, Delaware, Maryland, and Pennsylvania. And it also, that's, we started a men's conference in Philadelphia called Man Up Philly. Mm-hmm. We had 1,500 men at Newman University. Wow. And we trademark the name so we're doing man up new jersey mm-hmm. i'm at the archdiocese in new york tonight and hopefully uh we'll start man up new york there so we want to okay. take that nationwide yeah, yeah. so cool yeah, very nice yeah, it's really so then what was next after that for you because you're uh, passionate about cars yeah passionate about cars and i was also passionate about real estate okay so we built our first house in 1985 which is the house that we live in now mm-hmm. uh, on the reservoir in media and so I saw an opportunity down the shore mm-hmm. and I started to, I, I bought a couple of lots in Ocean City and okay. I just started to build homes. Okay. And it got bigger and bigger and I love it. Mm-hmm. And then in 2008, everything stopped. Mm-hmm. Nobody was buying. That was in your life, Stephanie, in anybody's life. In the real estate business, it was worse than the depression. Mm-hmm. And values went down by 50% or more mm-hmm. because it was, it was home that, it was the mortgages that really took the company, uh, took the country into mm-hmm. depression. Yeah. Imagine they had no doc mortgages, meaning no documents. You didn't even right. have to fill out a document. No credit reports, nothing. Right. You could buy a house and, and banks were loaning money. It was nuts. And so uh, that's when we started into the hotel, the hotel business, business. Okay. Because I was knocking hotels down and building condominiums. Mm-hmm. And we had just did one, the Grand at Diamond Beach, which okay. was a quarter of a billion dollar project. Right. We had the Carlisle Group as our partner on that. And I had bought two hotels together because Diamond Beach is this little enclave. It's only six blocks long, three blocks wide. Okay. And we own the beach. Right. We own over 3,400 feet into the water. So it was really great. And uh, we built the Grand, but we finished it in 2009. So it was an architectural achievement, Mm -hmm. but financially it was awful because the timing was terrible and they were all condos they were all condos okay. so so what it, it occurs to best we're developers so we buy land we build and we sell mm-hmm. you could buy land but we already had too much land so mm-hmm. we weren't buying any land neither with anybody else you couldn't build to nobody because nobody was buying right so a hotel that we were bought next to the grand to make it a twin tower look mm-hmm. behind you you can see those twin oh right those yeah. be the grand uh the Grand North and the Grand South. Okay. So we bought this hotel called Pier 6600. We mm-hmm. were operating it for five years, waiting for our approvals. Okay. And so as it turned out, I love the hotel business. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting, going back to a factory, my grandfather had three dealerships. I was in the car business. Mm-hmm. And he also, my grandfather also uh, had the first and the only, in 1948, he bought mm-hmm. the only beachfront hotel in Avalon called the Puritan. Okay. He loved a hotel in West Virginia called the Greenbrier. Mm-hmm. He changed the name of the Puritan to the White Whitebriar. Okay. So it was my grandfather. Imagine this. He died when I was a year old. And right. here I am, 50 years later, I'm in the car business and in the hotel, hotel. business. Very just cool. like him. Yeah. How cool is that? And we own the biggest hotel on set in Cape May County, which happens to be in Avalon, yeah. which was the Golden Inn and is now Icona Avalon. Okay. So I often thought to myself, you know what? I wish he was around. Think of the wisdom. Although a lot of that wisdom came through from my uncle. Right. But I thought, wow, I just wish he was alive. Then I thought, well, look, I'm one of 70 grandkids. He wouldn't even <laughs> know me. But we have 14 of our own grandchildren. And one yeah. thing I know as a grandparent now, you know every one of them. Right. So my whole perspective has changed. And, uh, I often talk to him and say, hey, look what you wrought. Right. Look what you wrought. So cool. Yeah. So so we got into the business mm-hmm. by default, the hotel business. Mm-hmm. Fell in love with it. And I said, hey, we're going to do it. Let's do it right. So we created our own brand. Okay. And we rebuilt the hotel in Diamond Beach. So our okay. first hotel became Icona Diamond Beach. Okay. And so, for listeners, so they know that's in North Wildwood, right? Uh, no, or that's in, it's in Diamond Beach. Diamond Beach, okay. Everybody thinks it's Wildwood, it's not. Got it, okay. It's next to Wildwood, Crest. There's three Wildwoods, North Wildwood, 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 Crest, and then okay. south of that is Diamond Beach. Got it. And Diamond Beach is in Lower Township, the rest of them are in Middle. Okay. So 
but it's right next to it. But it's its own. It looks like Avalon or Stone Harbor. Right. It's neat and clean and tidy. Mm-hmm. And it only started being developed really in 1985. So okay. it's really the newest of the Shure towns. Right. Whereas the Wildwoods and Ocean City and Avalon, you know, they all started in the early 1900s. So, uh, so now we have three hotels and, you know, I'm very proud of our team mm-hmm. because today the greatest gauge of your ranking is how TripAdvisor ranks you. You're mm-hmm. familiar with TripAdvisor? Sure, yeah. That's more important than getting a Forbes four-star or a AAA mm-hmm. uh, four-star because that's a grading system from Forbes and AAA. TripAdvisor is the voice of the guest. That's the only thing that matters. Mm-hmm. That's why a lot of hoteliers don't like it at all because it lay, you're, you're, you're laid naked. You're laid bare. Right. And the guests are going to tell you what they think. So when we bought the Diamond Beach property, there's 78 hotels on Five Mile Beach, which is the three wild within Diamond Beach. Okay. We were rated 74. Okay. Today we're rated number one. Very cool. That's when, awesome. When we bought uh, Cape May, mm-hmm. which we bought the same year as the Golden Inn, it was rated 34 out of 37 hotels. Okay. Now rated number one. Amazing. Even over Congress. Yeah. And in Avalon, there was only seven. Avalon and Stone Harbor, they, they grade as one. So okay. Got there's it. There's seven hotel motels. Mm-hmm. Uh, Golden Inn was dead last. Golden okay. Inn is now number one. Amazing. But what's more impressive to me mm-hmm. and is that... There's 100,000 hotels in the USA. Mm-hmm. Now, put that in, in connotation for a little contrast. There's 15,000 car dealerships. Okay. 15,000. There's 100,000 hotel motels. Mm-hmm. We're rated one. There's 1,100 in the state of New Jersey. We're rated one, two, and three in the state of New Jersey. Wow. We're rated in the top 50 in the United States of America. There isn't a Ritz or a, or a uh, Four Seasons that can say that. Or right. St. Regis. So, Why? Are our buildings nicer uh, than the Ritz Laguna Nagal or Four Seasons Maui? No. But between the, the four walls, the ceiling, and the floor, we give our guests a five-star experience. Mm-hmm. And remember I told you about the training? Mm-hmm. So it starts with their, hey, Denise, can you give me some culture cards, please? It starts with our name. Right. Our name is our mission. Yeah. If you cover the A, it says icon. In Wikipedia, an icon is a sacred place, person, or thing. Okay. The A stands for aloha. Aloha in Wikipedia means warmth, welcome, and love. So we say our name is our mission, Icona. We want our guests to have a heavenly experience and feel our warmth, welcome, Mm. and love. So all these principles that I talked to you about from the the books and from our own experiences, we put into what we call a culture card. And so whether you're talking to a dishwasher or the general manager of the hotel, if you ask them what Icona means, they'll Mm -hmm. say exactly what I just said. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So today there's three Icona hotels, right? Today there's three Iconas, and then we're going to start a uh, – Icona is high in luxury. We're going to start another group, uh, and we're calling that Mahalo. Okay. Which will be select service hotels. They won't have the, the restaurants and the food and the beverage and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. But okay. Yeah, so soon to uh, Mahalo. Very cool. We'll, in the next 12 months, we'll launch Mahalo. Yeah. yeah. I was just at the Icona Inn this past Sunday. Oh, good. Memorial Day weekend, so in it was Avalon. fun. Mm-hmm. We were at the, the beach bar. So we had fun. You know, it's the first time in five years Memorial Day didn't have a wet day. It was, it was just, amazing. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah. It was so wonderful. Yeah. Um, so to close out, I wanted to ask you a couple of, yes. to provide some life lessons because you've had a lot of success from the very beginning, yeah. the car business, um, uh, and then in real estate and, and hotel development. Yeah. Um, so what I'd love for, to ask you is um, what the meaning of success is to you. The meaning of success to mm-hmm. me, I probably would give you that answer in a couple different ways. Or the you definition know, of success. The definition yeah. of success. The definition of success is, to me, is getting up in the morning and loving what you do. Mm-hmm. And however that long it takes you to do that mm-hmm. in your life, find it. Okay. There's a passion, there's a vocation within each one of us. Mm-hmm. And we even say at Icona, we say there's only three things you need. Number one, you have to have a passion for people, mm-hmm. a heart for hospitality, okay. and to understand that to us, it's a ministry. Mm-hmm. It's a vocation. Right. So I think the meaning of success is everybody, our Lord made us mm-hmm. in a certain way with certain gifts. Find out what your gift is mm-hmm. and exploit that gift. Okay. 
So that you know, so that would be that would be success to me. Mm-hmm. Everybody, not everybody, but most people look at success as a financial equation. Mm-hmm. But if you said to me too, and it's also the hierarchy. You know, I always said, here's my hierarchy of life: God first, then family, then work. Mm-hmm. But if it was my, if I was honest with myself, which I was about 20 years ago, I really examined it. I was really business, 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 family, mm-hmm. God. Yes, I went to mass every day, but for me, it was checking off a box. Mm-hmm. I didn't listen to, uh, you know, I didn't listen to anything uh, in terms of, uh, you know, the readings at mass. I was there, but I was only there in body. Can I have a culture card? Should I go in there? It's going to be a couple of Thanks. And so, uh, like if you said, what's your happiest time? My kids know it. Mm. I have one wish every birthday. Mm. I just want to be with my kids and my grandkids. Mm. Nobody else. Right. Nobody else. How old are you now? I'm only 64 and a half. Okay. (laughs) So you know how little kids talk about, you know, when they want to be five and a half years? Yeah. Because they want to be older. Right. I go halves because I want to be younger. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I'll be 65. I can't believe it. I got this card in the mail for Medicare, Medicaid. Mm-hmm. I'm like, who's this for? Yeah. You know? So cool. Yeah. And then when you think of the word success, who do you think of? It can be more than one person too. Yeah. Well, financially, you'd have to say Warren Buffett. Mm-hmm. Uh, spiritually, uh, for me, it's obviously Jesus. Mm-hmm. That might not be obvious, but that's who it is. Okay. So it depends on what facets of success uh, that you're looking at. I've been lucky. I've had great mentors along the way. Yus mm. Wolfington was a great mentor and teacher. Mm. Uh, Roger Penske. Um, and so, you know, just the people in the books mm-hmm. that I've read. Og Mandino. I'm a huge fan of Og Mandino. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dale Carnegie. Right. So I think success is really... Uh, that you've loved the journey, that you weren't always looking for mm-hmm. the pot of gold. Right. Like if I could change anything about my life right now, and if I went back, you know, I've made mistakes in my life, but I really wouldn't change anything because mm-hmm. the, the mistakes teach you lessons. Mm-hmm. They teach you lessons. Oh, talking about that, actually, it's another life lesson I wanted to touch on is adversity because you've probably been through a lot in your 64 years. Um, so do you have any advice on how to get through the hard times and how to stay positive? I was, I have hung out at the edge in mm-hmm. business. Many times I've risked it all on red mm-hmm. and, uh, or black, whatever your preference is, mm-hmm. roulette. And those were adverse times. But I think the toughest to me, our Achilles heel is our children. Mm-hmm. And out of our five children, two have had cancer, one mm-hmm. brain cancer, the other thyroid cancer. And I think that's the toughest adversity you can go through mm-hmm. because you have no control. Right. And to me, that's when you get on your knees. Whenever that happens, mm-hmm. I go to adoration mm-hmm. and, and I just talk to God. So, uh, But adversity is a fantastic teacher because mm-hmm. the more adversity, like you want to save your kids and grandkids from going through adversity, but it's the greatest teacher. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just life. You have to go through it. There right. are just some lessons you have to learn on your own. Mm-hmm. For sure. There's a good quote I have on adversity. Um, did I get it for? Oh, John Wooden. All good things come through adversity. Yeah, John Wooden is a... Yeah. Yeah, he's another... He's great, a good one. Oh, I love John Wooden. Yeah. Um, and then one more question, too, I want to talk about, because I talk yeah. about this a lot in my different interviews, is the importance of humility. Oh. So Coach Jay Wright talks about that a lot. Like After they won the two championships, he made yeah. sure that the players... Remember that it was just a basketball game, and so you have to stay humble. So with all the success that you've had, how do you um, maintain your humbleness? Well, I appreciate it. I'm complimented. Um, I hope I have it. Mm -hmm. Uh, You do. I I can tell you this. I think humility is the most endearing quality a human being can have. Mm -hmm. When I think of the people I admire, the ones I just mentioned are Mm -hmm. all humble, humble people. And, uh, you want to hear something funny, Steph? Every year I set goals. I've been doing it since 1984. I could Mm -hmm. show you, I have them written down in the daytime, typed written, and I break them into four categories. My financial goals, mm-hmm. my physical goals, what I want to weigh. Okay. And if I go three pounds up or three pounds down, I adjust. I right. Never, I never sway from that. And then I have my spiritual goals. Mm-hmm. You know, what I want, how do I get 
close to God. And then I have my relationship goals mm. with my family, my friends, and my and and again, I already okay. did spiritual. So, when you talk about humility in two thousand seven, mm. I prayed for the virtue of humility. Okay, I figured that'd be a good one to focus on. Right. So, so my spiritual goal that year right was, before the crisis. Yes. Okay. Right before the very yeah. good. <laughs> so I prayed for humility. The next seven years were the toughest I'd ever gone through in my life. Mm-hmm. In 2008, so I prayed for it. In 2008, I lost two-thirds of my net worth. Mm-hmm. Between two, I lost money in 08, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. Mm-hmm. In the, in the uh, Old Testament, Job, mm-hmm. the book of Job, Job went through seven years of absolute uh, purgatory. Right. And so I felt like Job for those seven years. Two of my children got cancer. Okay. Down syndrome grandchild. Mm. And I looked at all this, but every time it happened, I remember when I prayed for humility, I literally heard a little voice say, okay, but it's going to hurt. Mm. And I literally paused and I thought to myself, did I imagine that? Yeah. And then I said it again. I said, you know, I want to be closer, Lord. I want to be closer to you. And I felt like that humility... Because, you know, our Lord, I mean, that's what's most appealing to him. Mm-hmm. So those seven years right. were just unbelievable. But that certainly humbled me. And mm-hmm. I went through humiliation. Mm-hmm. So it's one thing to be humble, but right. humiliation. And in the humiliation, I was reading a book about Mother Teresa. Mm-hmm. And Mother Teresa said, it was like my third year in out of the seven years. Mother Teresa said, you can't have the virtue of humility without humiliation. Okay. Stephanie, had I read that in 2007, I'd have never asked for the virtue. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'd have never asked for it. Yeah. But I will tell you this. Through those seven years, mm-hmm. if our Lord said to me today, use, I'm going to restore your finances. Mm-hmm. Your two children don't have cancer. Mm. You don't have a Down syndrome grandson. Mm. But you and I can't be as close. You know what, Steph? I ain't taking that trip. Right. I wouldn't trade that because it that's what it did. It brought yeah. me closer to God. Right. And so uh, I would tell you that those seven years, when you talk about adversity um, and the humiliation, and I think that's why humility is, mm. is so important. If you haven't been humbled yet, you will. Right. So best that you get there yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, Definitely, yeah. Before it happens. And you yeah. came out the other end too. It came out the other cool. end. Yeah. Yeah, it came out the other end. I, you know, I would tell you, uh, I don't knock on wood. I knock on the cross. Yeah. Uh, our business has never been better. Mm-hmm. It's never been better. And our kids are healthy. And sometimes we'll say, well, use what if this happens? You know, meaning something happens to the kids. Mm-hmm. And I say, you know what? What if somebody gets hit by a truck tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Nothing's guaranteed. Right. So we thank God every morning I get up. I thank God for the seven children and their spouses and the seven children. We have five. <laughs> so, uh, you know, all my children and spouse, I don't look at them as in-laws. They're all mm-hmm. my children mm-hmm. and all my grandchildren. And I just thank God that they're alive. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Yeah. Remember, scroll number five. I mm-hmm. will live this day as if it is my last. And mm-hmm. If it is my last, it will be my best. Okay. And if it's not my last, I'll get down on my knees and thank God it's a chance of another day. So that's how I try to mm-hmm. live my life. I love that. The gratitude. Yeah. The gratitude. Yeah. Have to that's be awesome. Have to be grateful. Um, and I never get tired of it. We yeah. live on the ocean. We work on the ocean. Stephanie, every time I look at the ocean, I'm mesmerized. Mm-hmm. I go, thank God. Right. You know, imagine being able to have work here. And mm-hmm. it, yeah. It doesn't get any better than this. I love it. Yeah. Um, so one last question. Yes. So Business um, or personal? Uh, I guess it'll be, it'll be both. Your family, but, um, you're allowed to ask. <laughs> um, so Molly just turned 30. I'm 31. Yes. Yeah. Um, what advice would you give to your 30-year-old self? What advice would I would give to my 30-year-old self? Yeah, side? so that's 34 years ago? Yeah. Just to, okay. Yeah, hard to believe. Is find out what you love to do mm-hmm. and don't get distracted. Mm-hmm. Focus, 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 focus. Mm-hmm. Your generation, and it's leaked into all of our generation, but particularly the millennial generation, mm-hmm. they look at multitasking as a badge of honor. Mm-hmm. It really, you can't multi, I know because I do it myself, right? but it's multi-distractions. Mm-hmm. 
So just focus, like you're doing the podcast, mm-hmm. focus on that. You're doing um, the real estate, focus on that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a lot of mistake. People, you know, they just give it a half effort and move on. Right. And if you look at, I mean, look at Yus Wolfington. For 20 years, I mean, anybody else would have said, why don't you give it up? Right. And he never gave up mm-hmm. on, on that whole concept of leasing. And yeah. now today it's worldwide. Right. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. Well, thanks, Yus. High pleasure. five. Step that high was a good five. one. Yeah. Well done. Thanks, dear. <laughs> yeah, that was really fun. Hi, everybody. Thank you so very much for taking the time to listen to High Five Success Stories. To learn more about the podcast, feel free to follow me on Instagram. My handle is at High Five Success, or on Facebook, you can like High Five Success Stories with Steph Hayden, or I'm also on Twitter. My handle is at High Five Hayden. And lastly, you can subscribe to the newsletter on my website, www.stephhayden.com. And if you get a second, I would really appreciate it if you could rate the podcast on iTunes. Thanks so much.